Welcome to Interviews. My name is Laurent Autain and I am on a quest to crack the entrepreneurship code. I created this podcast to give a voice to passionate small and medium entrepreneurs around the world. I hope that the stories, practical tips and advice my guests share will inspire you to better navigate your own entrepreneurship journey. Hi, thank you for joining Interviews. Today I am with Brian McMahon, head on show at Expert Dojo, based in California, USA. Hello, Brian. Thank you for joining me today. Good morning. Good morning. Great to be. Great to be with you. Good. So please just tell us a little bit about your journey. Uh, so I'm an investor. Um, I own an accelerator. I'm the co-founder of an accelerator over in Southern California in Santa Monica. Uh, we invest in early stage companies. So we're the most prolific investor in Southern California. We probably invest in around 50 companies per annum. Mm -hmm. uh, we do checks of around $100,000 into those companies. And, you know, our our training our education our investment and everything that goes with that has got one desire really and that's for those companies to become very successful very big very valuable so that our equity is worth a lot more in the future and so that those entrepreneurs have a high success level all right and now what about yourself when did you know you would become an entrepreneur so I've been an entrepreneur for, shoot, like 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been an entrepreneur of sorts for really 30 years. I mean, my first company was a property development company over in the UK. I've lived in 30 to 40 countries um, mm -hmm. over the last 25 years. Um, and in each of those places, you know, I had the entrepreneurial bug in, in different ways. Um, and then my journey, like most journeys of entrepreneurs, kind of is intertwined between being connected with other companies uh, throughout that journey, starting off my own endeavors through that journey, everything from tech companies through to consulting companies, through to the property development company back at the very start. And it led me to a place of realizing that, you know, the only way to building true wealth and mm -hmm. releasing yourself from the bondage and slavery of having a job and, and being stuck with a fixed salary for your own life is to be able to find something that you're incredibly good at um, and then use all of your skills and talents to be able to build that company into something very special in the future that can then allow you to take the money that you make from it and sit back and say, okay, I made it. Right. So what are you incredibly good at? So I'm very good with people, actually. Right. That's, my, that's my superpower. I'm very good. Um, and I don't want to say I'm very good at being able to spot great people or find great people. I'm very good at, at relating with people. So I'm very mm -hmm. good at being able to build. And, and it's a really essential skill when it comes to being an entrepreneur. Your communication skills are vital. And they're vital at every stage. Like if we imagine... As an entrepreneur, you go through kind of four journeys. Like your first journey is, and we'll do some analogies that, that we normally use at Expert Dojo or Accelerator. So your first journey is, we, we call the Viking era mm -hmm. of your journey. And the Viking era of your journey is right at the very beginning. And it's when you don't have anything except for your own brute force and strength and will to overcome. Mm -hmm. But you have to be able to communicate that while you're doing it. So we, we, we see that era, that era as, a, as a time when you have to really focus on building your brand. So it's not just 
enough that you're going to do outreach, that you're going to get into your Viking boat and you're going to cross the ocean and you're going to start a fight with a couple of English people. You actually have to make sure that you have an advantage, right? You've got to make yeah. sure that by the time your boat arrives in England, that they've heard stories of you sharpening your teeth coming across and mm. that you eat little children for breakfast and that life is going to be terrifying when you arrive in the shore so that a village of a thousand people will run away from 20 Vikings that arrive, right? And a startup has to do the same thing. That communication of brand is incredibly important. They need to make sure that by the time that brand goes out to market, that their larger competitors do not automatically think that these boys and girls are pipsqueaks and they can be destroyed easily. They have to feel that they're a force to be reckoned with and that they should beware. Um, mm -hmm. Same way with the outreach, they need to outreach really strongly and the same way they need to build their influence level. And then we kind of see the next era, especially of communication, is you're more of a gladiator. And as a gladiator, that means that things such as process and structure mm -hmm. and training and technique and the investment to make sure that you have the armor that you need and the swords and the tools that you require to be successful, they all take a more prominent role. Now, it doesn't mean that brand goes away and it doesn't mean that outreach goes away, but it does mean that if you build an organization on quicksand, then your organization, no matter what great work you do on brand or outreach, it will fall apart. So that structure is tremendously important. And then we kind of take it to the next level, which is what we call the level of the Knights of the Round Table. And that's where you need to find six or seven or eight people who are just better than you at every single area. So you need mm. a better person in sales, a better person in operations, a better person in HR, a better person in legal, a better person in fiscal finance, accounting, a better person in tech. And that way you don't become the biggest bottleneck problem of your company. And so all of these are areas of communication mm -hmm. because you have to convince at the beginning clients to come on board with you. You've got to convince people to start with you. Even though you've got no money, you could be out of business. I mean, think about how unreasonable the startup journey is. Yeah. As a founder of a company, you have to approach other people to work for your company in the knowledge that you probably can't afford to pay them within 60 days. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's insane. So, that the, so the communication is not a communication of learning how to lie. It's a communication of learning how to tell people the truth along with the upside, along with what is required to achieve the upside. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's a phenomenal. And that's a skill that was given to me a long time ago. You know, and, and as, I, as I've evolved, I've made sure that I've developed the skill myself. And now it puts me into a place where, you know, I can not only develop my own startup, but I can help all of our founder, founders develop their communications within their own startups. Right. So let's be a bit concrete. Uh, imagine that I am, you know, a new graduate, just finished my university. I want to be, uh, you know, in a, let's say in the tech industry and I want to start my own startup. What do I have to worry about first? Well, sir, first, the first thing you have to worry about is the fact that your government and your universities have given you such a terrible education <laughs> that you have absolutely no clue what you're doing. Uh, the second thing you have to worry about is the fact that you're not even conscious incompetent. You're mm -hmm. unconscious incompetent. Like you don't even know 
how little you know. Like you've watched a couple of videos with Gary Vaynerchuk and a few mm. Shark Tank episodes with Mark Cuban. And suddenly you think that you can start a startup because it's awesome and cool and fun. And you've seen Mark Zuckerberg on TV and you're like, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> and you can't. You can't because you haven't been trained. It's so stupid. Like it pisses mm. me off on a huge level because, you know, nobody would look at the Olympics and think, yeah, dude, I'm, you know what I'm going to do? I have this great idea. I'm, I'm going to be the greatest decathlon athlete. Like, no, you can't do that. You wouldn't say, hey, I've just had this great idea. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, um, to go in and I'm going to do some surgery for this poor guy who's got cancer because I think I can really help him out. No, mm. you're not a trained surgeon. So for some reason, entrepreneurs believe that they can launch a billion-dollar business and be successful with no training whatsoever. Mm. So we always say to our people, look, you gotta, you got to start from a place of humility. You know nothing. You have no clue. And yes, there are startups that are successful because they're pure lucky. But you can't start with that as the main criteria of your journey. You have to start with the main criteria of your journey is that everything possible that will go wrong is going to go wrong. So the first thing you got to get sorted out is your fortitude. You got to make sure that your mindset is in a place that you're ready. And that means that everything a great athlete should do, you should do. Mm you believe that it's better to go to bed at 10 o'clock at night and wake up at four o'clock in the morning because your mind is going to stay better and stronger, you do that. You don't follow all of this BS of burning it on both ends of the candles because you're tough and strong. Would an athlete do this? That's, that's the question that we always, always, always ask. Is like, would an athlete do what you're doing from this perspective right now if they mm. were going to be preparing for the greatest race of their life tomorrow? And the second thing you've got to make sure is that your team has got all of the gap skills. Because the, the thing about a startup is, like, startup is a very general term, but what are you going to do? You're going to start a retail store. You're going to start a consultancy. You're going to start a tech company. Because all of those have got different skills that are required. Yeah. Um, and there's no point in just me starting a company as a great communicator and saying, well, I'm the greatest communicator in the world, so I'll just overcome and I'll make it be and I'll fake it till I make it. No, you'll probably fail. That's why there's a failure rate in startup of 98% because people don't look at these aspects and say, how can I overcome the challenges that we have and pre-guess what those challenges are going to be so that we can actually make sure that we prepare for them properly. And one of those huge ones is just skill gapping. So if I'm building a technology, the chances are me, Brian McMahon, background in consulting, background in property development, background in just busting through stuff that I'm not going to be able to build a great user experience or a great mm. user interface or a great human-centric design. That is not my skill. And just because I believe I could design a nice house or I can make my sofa look really nice in my living room, it does not mean that I can create the right human-centric experience for a user to come onto my new online platform, which is going to be better than other experiences that have been built with companies who have millions upon millions of dollars in resources to build theirs. So I got to find the best people. If there's a huge HR component to it, I got to make sure that we are, we are not compromised from either a logistics or a HR side of it. Are there people to run? Is one of my skill sets that I'm able to run the operations of a company? Like what are all of the skills that are required and have I gapped those skills? Mm -hmm. Number three is your cash flow. Like, so my only job as an entrepreneur, as a CEO entrepreneur, is not to die today, right? If I comply yep. with, that, with that job, 
every single day, the chances are I'm going to be successful, right? Most companies fail because they run out of money. They might feel that they failed because they didn't get product fit. They might feel that they failed. But if they have enough money to keep going with plenty of money, then they're going to make it, right? Amazon lost $6 billion before they made it. But they made it because they kept on searching for better, 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 better until they found it. And then enough money had been pumped into them. So the job of the entrepreneur is to make sure <coughs> don't run out of money today and make sure that I don't die and make sure that I'm, I'm extremely good at learning, adapting, and then executing. Um, and then look, the final thing I would say, and this is really for, um, for tech entrepreneurs, is be a great fundraiser. Like you gotta be a great fundraiser. You, you gotta, if I asked, if I had 100 venture capitalists lined up in front of me today, and I said to them, I am gonna give you two people. The first person is the greatest entrepreneur you have ever seen in your entire life. This person has every skill that you could possibly imagine, except for fundraising. And I will give this entrepreneur to you so you can start a company. Entrepreneur number two, not a great entrepreneur in all fairness, one of the most amazing fundraisers you've ever seen in your entire life. Who do you think they're going to choose? A hundred out of a hundred. Number two. Every time. There won't even be a hesitation. Mm. They won't even look at the first person. And that says a lot mm. about entrepreneurship and the state of entrepreneurship where it goes. So just be a great fundraiser. Okay. I've, I've set up my startup and now I need, I need money. How would you give me that check of 100,000? What would you look for? So number one, I mean, we as an accelerator, um, if you're just starting a company, it's unlikely that you're ready for us yet, right? We look for a number of, a, a number of proof points mm -hmm. that we feel it's going to be successful. And, and actually, let me, let me step back. Rather than just looking at me let, me, let me talk about the different places that you can get investment because I think that will help an awful lot more. Um, the number one place is friends, family, people you know. It's incredible. You, you, and I'll give a really good example. We had somebody in our accelerator who we have redesigned their entire product fit. And they have a phenomenal company, but VCs will not invest in them yet because we have to rebuild that as a marketplace rather than an AI tool. Um, and they're going to want to see it fully built and they're going to want to see um, traction there as well. And because we're in COVID-19, Hmm. The chances are that the angels are not going to invest either because angels are the, always, the, whenever there's a recession, the first ones to run away from the market are angels because this is a terrible market for angels. So if you think about it, like a, a, a startup value proposition is a value proposition that generally takes about 10 years for the investor to get their money back, which is a long time. Mm -hmm. Also, there's about a one in 20 chance of you actually getting any money back at all on that startup. The rest of the startups you can expect to fail. It's actually worse than that beforehand, but when, by the time it gets to the angel, it's probably like one in 20 chance. So you got a one in 20 chance of getting your money back, but you might get like a 50, 100 times return, but it's gonna take you 10 years to get it. Mm -hmm. A recession is not a time that you're gonna be investing in early stage startups, right? You're gonna be waiting for property prices to fall down. You're gonna put your money in property. You're gonna wait for stocks and shares to put it down. You're gonna wait for your options. You're gonna want dry powder. So angels run away straight away. And then you got venture capitalists. Venture capitalists 
um, are folks that will, uh, you know, they will invest generally when we see traction. And when downturns come, we want to see more traction because we know that there's, there's, uh, there's so many other startups out there that are looking yeah. for investment. For us, it's a game of supply and demand. And we want to have as many proof points as possible so that we can be sure that the investment we make is not going to be a one in 20 or a one in 10, but it's going to be a one in five, a one in two, a one in one. Mm. Now, in really good times, it's hard to get that because everybody's investing. So suddenly you've got all the amateurs investing. And the problem with amateurs investing is it makes it harder for us professionals to invest properly because the prices become more expensive. It's like, it's like stocks and shares, right? Mm-hmm. People investing in stocks and shares confuses it. Or if you get five terrible poker players who are playing at a poker table and you get like one or two professionals on that poker table, the professionals can very easily lose. Why? Because they're playing against a bunch of numbnuts who do stupid things that make no sense. It's no different to early stage startup, right? So from our perspective, the more proof points that we get, the worse the economy, the more we love investing. So we're investing probably three times more today Mm -hmm. than we did even six, 12 months ago. Okay, so right. let's go back to my example of the company that we had that changed their entire, their entire value proposition. Angels are not going to invest because the angels have all left the market, or many of them have. VCs are not going to invest because there are not enough proof points to show that he's going to be successful. We invested because we're an early stage accelerator, and because when we invested, it was in a slightly different product, and he already had traction. He already had 300 attorneys on his platform, and we believe now it's going to be off the charts good, but we know that we're not going to invest more yet. The angels are not going to invest. The VCs are not going to invest. But he had 300 companies on his, 300 attorneys on his platform. So what did we suggest he do? We suggested that he calls every attorney. And he says, hey, I got three things I want to tell you. As a client, numero uno, we want to tell you we're going to make our platform better. And we want to add on additional documents, which you are going to get for free. How cool is that? Better service, more documents, no extra cost. Mm. Number two, we're actually going to give you customers based on a whole new platform that we're building. How awesome is that? Because we're also not going to charge you anything for that. And number three, we are scaling like crazy. We are so successful right now. And the venture capitalists are going to want to invest in us very soon. But we thought, why would we reward venture capitalists when the people who got us here are you? So we want to give you the opportunity to invest. His first six phone calls, how many folks would you say who gave him a commitment to invest? So he got three out of six already. And we have, it's only three, it's only mm-hmm. six. We got like 300 companies to go after. So a lot of the time, two things happen. Number one, three things happen. Number one, folks are embarrassed. I don't want to ask him. My yeah. ego's too big. I don't want to tell her that I need money. I'll feel like I'm begging. Like, fuck you. Grow some balls and do it. Either you're going to build a huge company or you're not going to build a huge company. If you're not going to build a huge company, then it's okay. Like, don't ask them for money. You're never going to make great money. Grow it slowly. You shouldn't be on the venture capital road in the first place. If you are going to build a huge company, we then get to number two. You better be able to demonstrate that. Like, Mm. do not go to your friends, your family, or anybody else just because they're less educated than this and say to them, hey, man, I'm going to build something awesome and cool and great, and it's going to change the world. No, I want to see 
what you're going to do every single day. I want to see the outcome of what that's going to turn into. And I want to see how that's going to impact on the growth of the company. And then I want to see your next level of growth and where you're going to get the investment from to go forward. I want you to protect my money if I'm your friends and family more than you're going to protect somebody outside. So spend the time to actually go in there and then find it. And then the final thing is you've got to reach out to enough people. So hmm. don't just call your mom and your dad and your cousin Vinny. Like you got friends on Facebook who you went to school with. You got other people. Like you've got an extended LinkedIn network. You got a lot of people that you know. Um, and this is when you read, this is when the rubber meets the road. You know, this is when you get to find out, do I have something really great or do I not have something really great? We came to a long time to reach the brand of Expert Dojo. I mean, we consider ourselves to be the cage fighters of accelerators in America, right? Mm -hmm. Because we're not pretty and we're not nice. and We don't say nice things to people. And we don't just like come in in the morning and say, you're so awesome and you're so great. Like, I don't even do that to my kid. You know, I'm, a, I'm an Irish guy from Irish stock. And that means I call things out how they are. And if somebody does an amazingly great thing, I tell them. And if something does an amazingly shitty thing, then I tell them. But I tell them with the context of how we can turn it into something which is really incredible. So for me, it was important as we started to build the accelerator and invest in companies that we were not known for investment, but that's just our skin in the game. But we were known for how we interact with our entrepreneurs mm -hmm. to build a bridge to America, to bring them into America, to help them scale and to help them go face to face fist fight with competitors that should normally knock them out. Whether it's through building an amazing brand, whether it's through outreach, whether it's building influence level, you know, it can be any number of things, but we help them do that. Um, and we started off by thinking, you know, we're going to help entrepreneurs build empires and all that kind of bullshit. Um, and then we took ourselves to a place where we are today, where we now call ourselves, you know, the not yet accelerator. And that means that we start every conversation with every entrepreneur of you are not a unicorn yet, right? but you can be, right? And what we need to find out is what is your yet? What is the why behind your yet, mm -hmm. behind your not yet, should I say? Is it because your product isn't properly built out? Is it because your team isn't sufficiently good? Is it because you're not trying hard enough? Is it because mm. you're trying too hard on the wrong things? Like what is your not yet. So whenever people say no to you and people said no to us many times before, even as we started off when we launched our accelerator, like that no is not a no. It's just a no, not yet. And then there are two types of people. Those, those types of people that I mentioned at the beginning where their ego mm. is just continually a blockage in their life. And then there's the other people, which are very much like me, where I'm like, okay, I actually really appreciate that because I just got better today. I got better because you told me something that I and we need to improve to become a better accelerator. It's not about raising money. It's about building the greatest company on the planet within your domain. And you have to take this feedback and learn from it and build from it so you can do that. I see a lot of startups in Finland, but also outside who, you know, they don't, they don't do that. They just want to go after the money. They're not sitting on their egos. I see that as one of the key issue in a, in a, in a start, in a startup world. And one of the key, one of the big no, no, do you see, do you see other big no, no's like things like, you know, startups should not be doing. So this is a complicated subject and mm. it's a complicated subject because startup in general 
is a Ponzi scheme. Right? It's a okay. pyramid scheme, right? Mm. Which means that the greatest startups in the world are generally very inadequate and poor startups. Like if we look at Uber, Uber is, is a terrible idea. They, mm. they, the only reason that Uber is successful, like we could say, yeah, Uber is successful because of the convenience. Like what's the convenience? What I have to tap a button instead of calling a number, like that's the entire technology. And then mm. they're like, no, no, there's more than that. We've crowdsourced it. Oh, okay, cool. So rather than trained drivers bringing us out an Uber, we get any schmuck and their mom is able to actually drive an Uber. Like that's the great technology. Mm. But when we get to the real truth, why do we use Uber or Lyft? Because the price is a, yeah, third, of the, is yeah. a third of the price of a taxi. Like that's the only reason. If tomorrow all taxis in the world reduce their pricing to a third of the price of an Uber and a Lyft, how many people would be ordering Uber and Lyft tomorrow? Nobody, right? So what that means is this, but how much money have Uber and Lyft had pushed into them? Three, five, seven billion dollars? Hmm. It's the game. The game is how much money can you raise from whom, where, and why? But here's what people don't realize. And it's a disgusting game, by the way, because the problem with the game is that we just build shitty startups. Like that's all we do these days. I'm part of a system that just builds awful, shitty startups with terrible founders who have no reason to be there. <laughs> right? And that's the truth. With a lot of them, like if you look at a lot of the SoftBank uh, investments over the last 12 months, just do an analysis. Casper, a mattress company, hundreds of millions of dollars pumped into them. How ridiculous is that? WeWork was the greatest joke for five years, way before this, this, this calamity. The only reason that they got into trouble was because the Ponzi scheme broke. Somebody started talking too fast. If the Ponzi scheme didn't break, they would be a multi-billion dollar company right now rather than a crumbling relic of shitty companies past. But they should never have been where they were. Because mm -hmm. if you look at a comparison between Regis and WeWork, two co-working or flexible office giants, Regis, seven or 8,000 locations, maybe even more, 30% profit margins, 15,000 15, square foot locations, paid shareholder dividends for the last 10 years, extremely profitable, extremely low risk enterprise, even in times like this. WeWork never made money, losing billions of dollars each year, had you know, a few hundred locations in a few places, terrible, terrible, terrible model that didn't really have any ability to be able to make any money. Regis was worth $2 billion. WeWork was worth $40 billion. Mm. Why? Before yeah. it all collapsed, Why? right? Why? Because it's a Ponzi scheme. Because SoftBank put so much money into WeWork that everybody's like, oh my God, WeWork is a great company. We have to put more money into it. It's like, a, um, it's like the stock market. When you start to see a price going up, 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 up. And you look at it and you're like, dude, this is like silver mine in Kazakhstan. You know, I don't understand. But then you go, you know what? Somebody knows something. I better go in. It's gone from like a dollar to $2 to $5 to seven mm. to $25. You're like, shit, if I don't put money in today, if I put money in today at $25 and it keeps increasing at the same price. And then you look at it a month later and you're like, fuck, it's 20 cents. Mm. Yeah, it's 20 cents because it was a Ponzi scheme, dude. If you don't have control of the levers, you don't have control of the steering wheel, then you're not in control. And if you're not in control, don't play the game. So, so the reason I say this is complicated is you have to understand that that's the system. You also have to understand 
that the pool that they choose their founders from is generally a very small pool. So they take it from Ivy League founders that are generally white, young, um, high income individuals mm. whose mummies and daddies just happen to know all of the people in Silicon Valley. That's just the deal, right? Now you get a few people who come from outside there because of raw skill and brilliant technology. So Paddy and his brother from Stripe did that from Ireland and broke through because they had phenomenal technology, right? And it will happen like the Nokias of this world will always break through because of that. Like there will always be the anomalies, the Airbnbs that would break through because the VCs, greed is not blind, right? Mm. And when you, have, when you have a closed system where you have all of the good companies coming through, it doesn't mean that you're going to ignore the 2% of amazing companies that come through just because of sheer will and determination. So what we say to our founders is, look, when you go to every, when you spend 80% of your time going to every pitch event under the planet, begging for money, you're like the schoolboy or schoolgirl outside the school gates, desperately hoping that the love of your life is going to notice you if you keep carrying their books home from school and you keep telling them how incredible they are and you keep groveling and looking miserable and pathetic. Because that's how you look when you're going for money. If on the other side of the coin, you make sure that you're in the proximity of that person, that you want to be their boyfriend or girlfriend, or you want to be an employee of their place, but you just be the best beast that you can, then they will notice you. And they will notice you for the attributes that you already have, not for mm. the attributes that you're faking to have. So we'll take our startups, we'll bring them in, and we'll be like, okay, let's go to war. Let's go to war right now. Like, how do we go to war? How do we go? I want to pick a fight with the biggest competitor in your space. Like right now, let's find the biggest one and let's punch him in the face. And that's how we get started. Now, we don't have to punch them in a, in a way that they see us punching them. I don't need them to start a fight with me. I'm very happy with guerrilla warfare. Mm. Very happy with coming down from the mountains, sprinting in, causing damage, going back up again and not being seen. But what I do want to do is grow. I want my companies to grow like crazy. We'll teach them fundraising skills, but we'll teach them fundraising skills, which are skills that don't look obvious. And we'll make sure that they're not spending 80% of their time in that and the hope it comes through. We'll make sure that folks come looking for them because they see that they're growing like crazy. And so our guys, when they go into investor talks, they're going, look, I don't care. You invest in me, you don't invest in me. I don't give a shit. I'm going to get investment anyway, because we're the best there is out there. Mm. So if you want to invest, I'm, I'm sorry, just remind me as an investor, why you do this again. Yeah, you want to make money from investing in the companies that are going forward. Well, I'll tell you what, don't worry about it right now. You look at us in a month's time, see what our valuation is then. Make another decision then. And don't even worry about it then. Wait for two months or three months and just watch your evaluation. Because you'll come in at some stage. The question will be, will you come in at the right stage? But the thing is to follow this type of process, you have to make sure that you have a very good product, which has the ability or, or, or technology or whatever it is that has the ability to really scale, mm -hmm. which takes me back to the very first comment that I kind of said when we started, which is make sure you're extremely humble and you take in feedback on every single day. I go to other accelerators and other venture capitalists and I say, I know nothing. You know, we're lucky to have got where we've got to. We treat our founders extremely well. We believe we have a really good program, but we believe even though if you said to me, 
off the record, do I think our program is the best program in America? I would say yes. And I, but if you then said to me, well, where would you rank your program out of a percentage of 100? I would say like three to 5%, okay? And that's how founders need to approach their product and everything else. Mm -hmm. That's a good transition, uh, looking at your entrepreneurship journey and knowing everything that you know now, what would you have done uh, differently? Everything. <laughs> Everything. I would have started with better user experience right at the start. You know, it's funny. My kid's 13. And I said to him yesterday, I said, you're starting off a company tomorrow. Uh, you've got, I'm giving you $5,000. Where are you going to spend your $5,000? He said, I'm mm -hmm. going to spend it on an architect. And I said, where are you going to spend it on an architect? Like, what about advertising, marketing, getting your message out there? He said, but if I have something which is so beautiful, that everybody in the world wants to come to it, then I'm going to need to spend less money on, on marketing. I like genuinely, I don't think I taught him that, although he's around the accelerator all day. So he probably learned it. Mm. Um, but I wish I knew that lesson when I started. My mm. lesson at the beginning was bust through, you know, break skulls, make sure, like I don't would never do anything illegal or immoral or wrong or to hurt people. My analogies are not really meant to, to, to say that. It's about how I compete with competitors to make sure I break through at a time when it's impossible to break through. But I wish I had understood the importance of user experience mm. uh, with on, on everything just in life 25 years ago, it would have made everything phenomenal. So I think everything begins with a absolutely beautiful human centric experience. And it goes from there. It's true. Like the reason places like Soho house um, are the Ritz Carlton, like the reason that they don't have to advertise and that they have huge waiting lists for people to come through is because they built something which is so attractive mm. that folks want to be a part of so much that they don't have to tell people about it. People got them. So yeah, I would start there. And then I would say, I wish I'd known more mentors. I wish I'd reached out to more great people. I wish I had listened more. I wish I'd learned more. I wish I had from the age of 17 realized that I fucking never want to work for anybody in my life and i just want to do startup like everything else is bullshit it's okay but it's bullshit like like you you maybe you have to support a family and i understand that and i respect that and but that's a temporary thing you don't have to stay in a job to support a family forever you can stay in a job and start up a company at the same mm -hmm. time you know there is only one road from poverty and our poverty is getting worse every single day. And whether you earn 150 grand a year and you say like, F you, Brian, I'm not in poverty. You are because you probably have a mortgage of like six, $700,000. You probably have a kid in private school of like a grand or two or three grand a month. And you are probably praying to God that you don't lose your job. So your nice new Porsche doesn't get repossessed. Everybody is in poverty these days. It is the worst of all times. So... Yeah, all of those things and, and, and a lot more. All right. One last question. What books would you recommend? So, you know, the problem, I don't, I don't really get to read as many books as I really wish I could, I could read. And I really feel terrible about this. I probably, because we run 12, uh, sorry, four accelerators a year with mm. 12 companies in each cohort. And I immerse myself in my cohort from four o'clock in the morning through to like whatever time at night I finish. And um, I don't read as many books as I should. And that's a, that's a really terrible thing because I need to read a, a bunch more. Um, I will, I'll, I'll say a few things. Look, The Art to Start a War 
has always been a massive impact for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that, that the more you look through that book, the more you really understand that you need to be phenomenally aggressive in the early stage space. Um, I've always struggled with Lean Startup, Lean Canvas, uh, Steve Blank and those types of things because I believe it has denigrated what used to be phenomenal product and now people are coming out with really terrible products um, in a way that's, uh, that's just really sad. Um, and I want to get us back to a place where people start building beautiful human-centric designed products again, which are well thought through, and we're not doing any kind of minimal design or anything else. Um, I love Gary Vaynerchuk for a bit of fun. I think Gary Vaynerchuk is really awesome, and he's written a bunch of really awesome books, which I've enjoyed because it just gets you, it gets you pumped, it gets you ready, and mm-hmm. you've got to love what you do. Like You've got to be great at what you do much more than love what you do. But then when you're great at what you do, you have to love you do. Um, and then I'll finish it up with my favorite book, which is Simon Sinek. The, um, I think it's The Art of Why. Or the, like I've read it, seen it, done YouTube videos about it. Everything we teach our cohort is very central to that entire concept. Like when I talk about brand, user experience, user interface, human-centric design, it all kind of weaves its way back to the same why Mm -hmm. at the beginning of it right somebody needs to understand their very unique why within what you're providing or else yeah it's my it's my favorite book too (laughs) so how can people contact you uh, they can, uh, so if anybody's, if you're a startup, we, we're like, so we very much focus on international startups looking to come into America. That's our, that's our sweet spot. So if you're a Finnish company, if you're a European company and you think, yeah, I got a product, a technology, a something which can be great. I want to scale. Look, all the money's in America, or at least most of it is. It's just a simple fact of life. And that's mm-hmm. why we're here as the bridge to here. And whether this is a Ponzi scheme or not, or whether it's a good system or a bad system, it's kind of irrelevant. That's a more mental masturbation. This is really about like, what do you want to do as a startup? And if you want to grow and you want to become huge, then you want to get into America. We're a bridge in Santa Monica. You can apply to our accelerator at just expertdojo.com. If anybody has a question for me, I try to reply to all the emails, which is just Brian, B-R-I-A-N at expertdojo.com. Always happy to stay engaged. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Brian, for your time. My pleasure. My pleasure. It's fun. And thank you all for listening. If you have any questions for my guest or myself, or if you'd like to be a guest yourself, please send an email to contact at or reach out on LinkedIn. See you next time. Bye-bye.